Grab your Bibles with me if you would. Uh, brand new season and no brainer of a backdrop. If you know me, I love Lewis. And uh, if you know Lewis, you're familiar with the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Uh, the most popular of the, um, of the series in the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, if you're not, it's okay. It'll still, I hope and pray, all make sense. Uh, but this is the wardrobe here, or uh, the best rendition of it that we could find uh, for the budget that we had to work with, which was zero. And it was donated to us by a family here in town. And so it's beautiful. In fact, actually has, I don't know if you can see from the back, but it has lion feet. And I don't even know if the actual wardrobe had lion feet. It should have if it didn't, but this one does. Incredible, and, uh, and, and was, as, as you're aware, um, the way in which uh, the kids would then uh, discover for themselves uh, a whole new world into Narnia. Can you see? You good over there? We had folks last night, couldn't see, couldn't, couldn't. <laughs> You're sitting like, couldn't see. Okay. Tried to get a wardrobe that, you know, was up to the task. And um, this was really the um, portal. This was the vehicle through which they could leave this world uh, in all of its ordinary and enter into all that Narnia has to offer was the transport. And they stumbled upon it, and uh, it will allow for us uh, in, in due time through this season uh, to experience that that very same opportunity, uh, because it very much is a Christmas story. And uh, as much as it sort of is fictional, it's not. It's based on the real deal. And, and, uh, and I want to show you that this morning from Isaiah, if you have a Bible handy in Isaiah. And since it's the wrap-up season here for us where this year is concerned, uh, we might as well turn to chapter 22. How's that? As we wrap up. What a year 2022 has been. Did y'all get a key on the way in? Okay, that's for you. That's uh, for your tree. A special place for it, maybe on your mantle or wherever it would fit. Obviously, the wardrobe comes with the lock and key, and, and, and now you have the key. We're going to talk about the key today. But I love this whole picture 
that, uh, that Lewis provides and that ultimately this wardrobe represents. And so for us, this Christmas season, this Christmas adventure uh, will very much revolve around uh, this wardrobe and, and its invitation to all of us with childlike faith. For even Jesus himself said, if you don't have the faith of a little child, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. So if you're you know, here this morning and you're like, this probably fits better in kids' church, uh, be careful. Be very, very careful. Uh, lest you miss out on all that the Lord would, would have for us in desiring for, for us to realize and experience. Uh, Lucy stumbles upon this wardrobe in the home of Professor Diggory Kirk. They had gone uh, to his home outside of London, and he had a pattern and heart of reaching out to kids throughout England, the professor did, which was very much the heart of Lewis himself. He lived in Oxford and was known also to have, obviously, this affinity and, and, and love for, for kids. And so the story begins with this visit to the professor's house. And, um, and, and there they get transported through these clothes and through this wardrobe into all that Narnia would then have to offer. But it actually began years before that when Diggory himself visited Narnia. and was invited by Aslan, the great lion, the king, the representation of our king, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom deserves all praise and honor and glory, and will celebrate the gift that he has given to us uh, through the fellowship around the Lord's table this morning. Aslan represents our king of kings, and here Aslan sent Diggory into Narnia to retrieve a magic apple. Many of you will remember uh, in the Chronicles that he would retrieve this apple from this beautiful tree, a tree with silver bark, a tree that was known as the tree of protection. And that tree was, was, was very, very key and symbolic in the sense that in addition to being beautiful and all, it was uh, a shield, it was a defense, it was a protection, it was the tree of protection. It kept the witch out, kept the witch at bay, kept the witch back. In fact, at one point, I think Aslan actually declares to Diggory, the witch wouldn't come 100 miles near this tree of protection. And, and uh, for many generations in Narnia, that in fact was the case. That tree of protection brought that much-needed shield. And in one opportunity, Aslan then 
gives an apple from the tree of protection to Diggory to take back to London with him. And he transports that through the wardrobe back home uh, into London to, to, um, to give to his ailing mom, uh, who has an incurable disease. But ultimately, with the taste of that apple from the tree of protection, is healed uh, of her disease. It's a beautiful picture. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the way that life was entirely meant to be before sin entered the world. And, um, and Diggory actually takes the core of the apple that ends up then saving his mother's life. He takes the core of that apple and buries it in his yard plants it, and it grows into a beautiful, beautiful tree. It's a beautiful tree and uh, provides shade and, and is enjoyed by kids from all around the neighborhood and venturing even uh, throughout greater London until a storm comes, and the storm takes out this tall, beautiful tree that was planted in the professor's backyard from the core of the apple brought back from Narnia. The tree falls in a storm, and ultimately, rather than the tree just simply being cut up and burned in the fire, the wardrobe is the result of the tree that had fallen. And in this amazing adventure of the kids then visiting the professor's home in a game of hide and seek, this secret open portal that the professor had already experienced for himself firsthand is then experienced by Lucy and Edmund and Peter and Susan. Unlocks as your key now represents, unlocks for us this whole new world. It very much is a Christmas story. It is the Christmas adventure in a nutshell. It is the wood. It is the cradle. It ultimately leads us to the cross. All of which reminds us this morning of his great love for us. Greater love has no man than this that he would lay his life down. Ultimately, Aslan lays his life down as Jesus Christ would step out of his world, leave his realm, and enter into ours through the portal of a manger scene in Bethlehem to provide for us the necessary key and access that ultimately would allow us to spend eternity with him in heaven. He is, he is that key. He is that key. There is no other key. There is no keyless entry into heaven. There is no back door. And so he comes to provide for us this very access to which beautifully is portrayed 
in Lewis's writing and on so many different levels, both for the kids, for the grandkids, as well as for us to glean and do our best as adults to absorb and comprehend in our journey and search for truth. Lewis was on that journey. Full-blown, full-on atheist, doing his best to disprove all this stuff as a pile of junk. And ultimately would come to this conclusion. Here's what he says, the Christian story. Here's Lewis in his pursuit of truth. Look what he said. The Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion, here it is, and it's kind of gotten blurry, so maybe it's good for us to review that this is actually what we believe as followers of Christ. The Christian assertion being that what is beyond all space and time, okay, beyond this wardrobe, to the other side, to the other world, of all to which this closet then would represent. You know what a closet is? A closet simply is a casket that's still upright. <laughs> You'll never look at your closet the same way again, will you? <laughs> the Christian assertion being that what is beyond all space and time, what is, what is, what is uncreated, what is eternal, came into nature, came through the portal of what this wardrobe represents, this, this cabinet, stepped beyond space and time, stepped out of the uncreated, e eternal, into, into human nature, descended into his own universe. Isn't that fascinating? Descended into his own universe and rose again, bringing nature up with him. <laughs> it's precisely one grand and great miracle. That's it. And if you take that away, if you close it up, if you choose rather not to believe, You have nothing specifically Christian left. You've slammed the door on any hope whatsoever for the mess in which we find ourselves in where this world is concerned. That's exactly what Isaiah is getting to. Look at it with me. He declares in the 22nd chapter, and I don't really remember teaching from this before, although we spent two years in Isaiah, so we must have. But um, I honestly uh, feel as if this could not be more relevant and pertinent to the times in which we are living today. And although I don't remember teaching it before, I, I, I guess we must have, but... Um, no more relevant is it than today. Here, look what it says in verse one, the second half of verse one, he asks, what ails you now? He's like welcoming you in to, to, to his storyline. 
in light of all that is happening. And what ails you now that you have gone up to the housetops? You who are full of noise. Life is noisy. And even more, especially around the holidays, it gets really noisy. You who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city? You got a lot to which this morning you should be filled with joy over. Savior has been born. Your sins have been for. Where's the joy? He's like, you got a lot of noise and activity going on. This is Isaiah in chapter 22. This is sort of the sum up of the societal condition that surrounds the year that we are in the midst now of buttoning up and putting on the shelf. He's like, where's the joy? A joyous city? Your slain men are not slain with a sword. He's like, he's like, you're not at war, but you're at war. You're at war with yourselves. This is war going on, and you're not even at war. Look what he says. Your slain men are not slain with a sword. You're not dead in battle. But your rulers have all fled. You're fled together. There's a leadership vacuum. We're in a mess. We're in a mess. And Isaiah knew it. He writes about it. The Holy Spirit inspires him, and it is so real and alive, and, and it has a punch, even for the condition to which surrounds us this very moment. It's like your, your rulers have fled. We've lost our way as a nation. Captured by the archers. It's like captured by the archers, and, he's, you're like, and you're not even at war. You're not even on the battlefield. All who are found in you are bound together. And they have fled from afar. Therefore I said, look away from me and I'll weep bitterly. Don't labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. For it's the day of trouble. He's just calling it out, saying this is, this is a perplexing time. And maybe not just 2022, but maybe for several years now through pandemics and inflation and economic downturns. He's like, verse five, this is a day of trouble and treading down and perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls, crying to the mountain. Elam bore the quiver, chariots of men and horsemen and current covered the shield. And this, it's like the cities are being invaded, but they're being invaded from within. There is not some outside external power that is pouncing down on our, on, it's from within. Verse seven, it'll come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots and your horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate for he has removed, you almost feel that this is like so relevant and contemporary. Look at verse eight, for he is, it almost doesn't feel like he's removed his hand of favor from our land, from our nation. He has removed, look at verse eight, he's, he's removed the protection of Judah. And yet, and yet you, look at this, and yet you looked in that day to the armor of the house of the four. You didn't look to me. He's like, you're, 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 you're totally conscious of the fact and aware that he's removed now the favor and protection as prop one gets approved as this happens. And that is like, but you don't look to me. You don't come crying. You, you look 
I don't even know what this means. Like, what, what is the house? I don't even know. What it, you, you look and put your hope and faith in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. Bob, what's that? I have absolutely no idea, but I can tell you this, it's not him. It's not the Lord. It's like they've closed the door to allowing him to access. provide the much needed healing and remedy and protection that the wood from this wardrobe, the wood of Calvary, the tree itself that our savior was born to die on, to deliver us, to set us, we've closed the door on all that and now we're gonna trust in the armor of the house of the forest? What in the world is that? I don't know, it was just the latest in Isaiah's day. Verse nine, you also saw the damage of the city of David. Bethlehem was known as the city of David. You saw the damage there. Streets aren't safe, not safe to go outside. No bail. You saw the damage of the city of is great. You gathered together the waters of the lower pool and you numbered the houses of Jerusalem. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem that people were breaking in. Just breaking into houses all over the place. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem, the houses that you broke. It's, it's a mess. Streets aren't safe. Did your best to fortify a wall. You made a reservoir between the two walls and the water of the old pool, but you did not. You did all this stuff. Well, we can fix this. We can fix ours. We can fix this mess. No, you cannot fix this mess. The mess gets fixed by opening back up the access that the Lord has made available and the protection that he promises. But you didn't look to him, look, look at this, you didn't look, you didn't look to the maker. You go, well, we can fix this, we can build this, we can make it stronger, we can get better alarm systems. You did not look, into verse 11, you did not look to its maker, nor did you have respect for him, for him. You guys, for him, giving him honor, giving him respect, who fashioned it long ago. And in that day, here's, here's the consequences of it. In that day, verse 12, in that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for mourning, for baldness, hello, for the girding with sackcloth, but instead, joy and gladness just blew him off. Blew him off on a Sunday morning, blew off the holidays. Let's remove Christ from Christmas. Blew him off. No, no, no. The Lord's saying, you guys, you need to come back. You need to just like open up again. You need to believe in me. You need to trust. No, no, we don't. He called for, he called for a, 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 a day of, 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 of introspection, a, a day of, no, instead, joy and gladness, partying, slaying the oxen, killing the sheep and eating the meat and drinking the wine. That sounds like, oh, it's a holiday. Here's the verse. Let us eat, drink, and just be merry for tomorrow we die. There's your verse, the end of verse 13. Let's blow them off. The attendance at church is an all-time low in this country. That was revealed in my hearing by the Lord of hosts. Surely for this iniquity there will be no atonement for you. Even to your death, says the Lord of hosts. Aren't you glad this morning that's not how the story ends? You see, we closed the door on him. We boarded it up. 
We said, thanks, but no thanks. Don't want what you're selling. Fix it on our own. We're good. And he's like, well, you know what? As a result of your just sort of like party-like, go for it, fix yourself, mess that you're in, there'll be no atonement. even to your death, so your cabinet becomes your casket. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 15, go proceed to the steward of Shebnan, who's over the house, and say, what, 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 have you, what have you here, whom have you here that you have hewn a sepulcher? You've turned this cabinet into a casket. That's sepulcher. You, you, as he hews himself a sepulcher on high, carves a tomb for himself in a rock. Indeed, the Lord will throw you away violently, almighty man. Surely seize you. Surely turn violently and toss you like a ball. There's, there's a picture. He's going to toss you across the room like a ball. Into a large country, and there you'll die. And there your glorious chariots. Be ashamed of your master's house, and I'll, I'll drive you out of your office. From the position, he will pull you down all high and mighty, all propped up, all thinking you got it all together, thinking you're the key, you're not the key. The key doesn't represent you, okay? I'll pull you down from that. Verse 20, and it'll be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and, and I will clothe him with a robe and I will strengthen him with your belt and I will commit responsibility into his hand and he'll be the father of the inhabitants of Jerusalem to the house of Judah, and here's our verse. I mean, could there be a better verse? I've been holding on to it all year. Isaiah 22, 22 for 2022. What's it say? The key of the house of David. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one will shut. Hey, how's that for, for, for goodness, gracious sakes. God has so chosen in his mercy to open back up what we slam shut. He opens it up and says, no, there, there is access. And there is for the world a key. An opportunity, a, a chance once again to get right. Sorry, right side. Your, your door isn't staying open. Oh, I'll fix it. That's what a stool is for. He says, uh, the key of the house of David. I'll lay on his shoulder. And he'll open and no one will shut it. And, he'll, and, 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 and what he shuts, no one will open. I'll, I'll fasten him as a peg, as a, as a, as a, as a vav. We've, we've learned this. I'll fasten him as a, as, a, as a peg in a secure place. And he, who's this speaking of? I mean, what is this representing? And he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. Wow. <laughs> it's just like so awesome that that is... Our verse for 2020, Isaiah 22, 22. But you may pause, you might question, even as I do my own study, I'm like, well, who is this Eliakim guy? 
Who is the son of Hilkiah? Eliakim, let's just look at his name just for a second. Eliakim, El, God. Elohim, mighty God. Here's, what his, here's his name, Eliakim. El, God, Akim, a, a Kim or Kum, it's actually Eliakum if you're in, in Israel. It's not Bob, it's Bob. <laughs> and Kum means to lift up, to raise up, to open. Literally, the translation of Eliakim is this the opening up of God. That's Christmas. The resurrection of God. That's what Christmas ultimately would provide, a savior that has been born to ultimately suffer and die on a cross to remove from us the sin and shame of the mess that we have made. The resurrection of God. The reopening of what sin had slammed shot even all the way back in the garden. And I think the key to all of that, the, the key for me, I hope the, the key for you, the key in you finding a, 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 a special, I didn't think we should give everyone keys of this size because your tree would just totally top over, but you, you, you get the symbol, you get the meaning, you get to take it home. And, and, and I think the key the key, is, the key is knowing where the key is. Because right now, all of the contents of, 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 of the cabinet that is known as my home is under lock and key. And the, and the contents of your cabinet is under lock and key, and your car's locked. And to actually entrust someone with a key is to give them responsibility. Him, hey, we're gonna be out of town. Could you stop by and check on the house? So you're giving them authority. And here the Lord is saying to one who ultimately would represent all that his son would come into this world to fulfill and accomplish, he says, I'm giving to him the key. Key, I'm giving him to the I'm giving him the key, the keys. He says that to Peter. He says, Peter, what are what are folks talking about out there? What are, they, what are they saying? Who do they say that I am? Oh, some, some say you're Isaiah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Yeah, but okay, yeah, but it's like a lot of noise. I get it, it's a lot of noise. It's like, but who do you say that I am? This morning, first weekend of December, starting this whole new series and season of Christmas, who do you say that I am? Oh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What's Peter proclaiming? What's he saying? You are the key. And Jesus says, you know what, Peter? Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But my father who is in heaven. And upon this rock, not, not Peter, he's not referring to on this, on Christ, on what you have just declared, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the key. On this, I, I will build my church. You see, that is the biggest dilemma for a guy like me in a town like this is convincing people you're not the key. That's Josh's big 
challenge in the youth group is convincing a bunch of kids who are hearing constantly on TikTok and social media that they're the key, they're the key, they're the key, they're the hope, they're the answer, they're the solution. You're not the key. The key that we gave you this morning doesn't represent you. Sorry, Charlie. You're not the key. This can't be any key. The key isn't us. The key isn't religion. If the key was religion, then we could make our own key. And he would never had to bother leaving the realm of his domain and stepping into our world. Why? Why if we could make our own key? Religion's not the key. I'm not the key, you're not the key. Church ain't the key. I love the church. I love that we're here together. But church isn't the key. The church is the bride, not the key. You're not in just because you come to church. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it matters how many times modern day wins the CIF championships, and I think they've now won it for like the 800th time up in Southern Cal. The Southern Cal, see, modern day wins it. You know what modern day is, right? Modern day in Latin, you know what it is? Mother of God. But to all of my Roman Catholic friends, the mother of God is not your key. Wrong key. He is Jesus. It's only Jesus that, that opens up for you and for me. There's no back door. There's no rhyme or reason of thinking that you can just come up with your own key. Ooh, whatever, whatever. Whatever key you want to use, says San Diego. And I'm not saying Buddha didn't have some good things to say. I'm all for a, a more worry-free, relaxed, nirvana life. He just didn't have the key. And I'm not saying it isn't great that you've done a lot with your life. And a lot of you in this room have done a lot with your life. But doing a lot with your life isn't the key. The, the only person that ever quotes Isaiah chapter 22 is the one who has the key. The only place in all of Scripture where Isaiah 22 is quoted is when it's quoted in Revelation chapter 3 by Jesus Christ. 
And in Revelation chapter three, Jesus Christ declares, as he writes a letter to a church, a faithful church, the church of Philadelphia, he says, these things says he who is holy, these things says he who is true. So Eliakim didn't say, Eliakim isn't holy. He was just a picture, a foreshadowing of the one who would come and fulfill all that the Lord God Almighty was desiring to see fulfilled through the one to whom he would grant the keys. These things says he who has the keys. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and nobody opens. That's Jesus Christ the only person that ever quotes and fulfills the promise from Isaiah and quotes it in such a way that it points to himself and himself only and ultimately then would say to Peter who has declared this, this awesome truth that has been inspired to him by God himself, you are the Christ, you are the key, you are the son of the living God and Jesus says to Peter in that moment, I give you the keys. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven that we would work in concert together, that we would believe together what this day desperately needs. And what it needs more than anything is for us to believe that he is the key. He is the source. He is the cure. He is the one. And we can't shut our hearts and minds as if we have grown to be too intellectual or sophisticated for what he has stepped out of heaven to come and provide. You know, in that very same chapter from Revelation, Jesus also, in chapter three, verse 20, says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And I wonder if you would be willing to open up the door of your heart and invite him in. That, that, that's what the celebration of this meal really means, that you have opened up to his knock. You haven't repeated the sad mistake of Bethlehem and said to the Lord, no room for you here. Make room for the king of kings. Give him the key to your heart and to your life. He's the one with the key. He's the answer to all of your questions. He is the hope of all your despair. He is the solution and healing to all that ails. He is, he, is, he is the one, the one, the one, the one with the keys. He says in Revelation chapter, chapter one, you know what he says in Revelation chapter one? Revelation chapter one, he says, he says, I am he who lives. This is verse 18, Revelation 1, 18. Look, look at this, look this one up. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, I got the keys. Look what he says. I got the keys of Hades and of death. 
You want to be with the one who's got the key. Otherwise, you are broken down, stalled out on the side of the road. I got the keys. I am the one, the one, one name given among men whereby we must be saved. The only one, the name above all names, the one worthy of our praise. And here John in Revelation comes upon a scene where everybody's bawling. There's like a total cry fest going on in heaven and he's like, What's happened? They're like stunned. They're like paralyzed. What's the problem? Have you read the problem? What's the problem? We don't have the key. And they're all freaking out. And ultimately, the angel steps forward and says, stop your bawling. Stop your wailing. One, one, not five not 10, not multiple choice, whatever you want to pick and choose and carve and create for your own. One has been faith, one has been found who can open the seals. One has the key. And they sang, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. I pray, I pray this season, I pray, I just pray over your life and your marriage and your family that this would be the opportunity even right now for your Christmas miracle that you would open up your heart and make him the key to all that you live for. Make room for the king. Even in the midst of this noisy life of ours. That's one thing about life on this side of the wardrobe. It's really noisy. Life is noisy. And if we somehow could, I don't know, listen in to all that's going on on the other side of this so noisy on this side that we then end up sort of make believe in stuff that we think we heard. Well, I, I, God spoke to me. I got so many people in my life that every single week want, just want to stop me in Vons and say, God spoke to me. Oh, really? What did he say? <laughs> well, he says, it's like, I would love chapter and verse for that. It's like making stuff up. Because what he said is in here. And if you haven't heard his voice lately, it's because you haven't opened up and read his word. And if you have read his word and you still find him to be rather silent, he's silent because he's already spoke. And he just wants you to believe him for all that he has said, for all that he has done, for, for all that he has fulfilled and accomplished. Believe him. Take this bread and believe what he did for you on the cross. It opens up for you the access to all that awaits on the other side. And if you could hear what they're saying on the other side, do you know what they're saying? 
I'll tell you what they're saying on the other side. They're all saying the same thing in unison. They're not all in the same place, but they're all saying the same thing. You know what they're saying? Nobody dies and goes nowhere. That's what they're saying. Nobody ever, ever, ever dies and goes nowhere. That's what they're saying. They so much want you to know based on now what they know and experience that nobody dies and goes nowhere. And you know what else? They're all screaming at the top of their lungs, desiring for you to hear them say, and you can't because it's so noisy on this side, but you know what they're all saying? The key is Jesus. That's what they're saying. The key is Jesus. Is the only key. So Lord, we give you praise. And I just pray you'd bless this time of communion that as we take this bread, we would believe it to be the key that saves our soul. That we together as we take this cup would believe that it represents your sinless blood that was shed to remove from us all of our sin and shame. For one has been found worthy to open the scroll, to loose its seals, to win our war, to forgive our sins. Sad hearts weep no more. He has healed the brokenhearted. He's opened wide the prison door. He is able to deliver evermore. Lord Jesus, we give you praise and thanks and celebrate even now your birth, not just in Bethlehem, your birth inside of us. Be born in our hearts. Move in and take over. We give you the key to our heart and to our life, believing that you are the only hope and answer and salvation. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, we thank you for it. And everyone said, amen, church.